on the Sheila Zielinski Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now, here is your host, Sheila Zielinski. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show today. I am your host, of course, Sheila Zielinski, for this Monday, January 30th, 2017 edition. I appreciate you tuning into the program today, which I want to jump right into. But first, if you have not subscribed to my YouTube channel, I want to remind you to do so. And if you have not liked my social media, that's follow me on Twitter and like the Weekend Vigilante Facebook page, do that. Because we're going to be having some really cool stuff, some contests, book giveaways. I'm going to be doing some video and some other formatting in the months to come, God willing. And I do want to thank my loyal listeners and those who support this ministry financially. This ministry, I need to remind people, is 100% listener supported. It is the end of the month when things are due, and I am asking for your financial support. You have no idea of the cost and expenses that go into this, but I don't think people understand the work that goes into it. And the workman is worthy of his wages. And it's always good to remind people that because I think people think that this is free. Well, I just listened to a podcast. Podcast should be free, I was told. And I've got a news flash for you, folks. None of this is free. This is a very costly venture to bring you a show like this with cutting edge guests. It's a lot of work. And do not forget that I pray and counsel a lot of people as well. I have plenty more than a full-time job with this. And for the naysayers and the religious spirits and the El Chipos out there, when people partake of someone's ministry, if people are eating the meat of a show and they are getting a blessing from it, this show has actually changed many people's lives. People are getting delivered, set free, informed, woken up. And I could go on and on and I don't have to because my work stands for itself. And I hope you think this show is worth supporting. And I'm going to be sending a newsletter out this February 1st. Lots of stuff to get into for the February 1st e-newsletter. Do make sure you are subscribed for that. As well as I can't stress enough, make sure that you're subscribed for my YouTube channel. Again, we're just going to be doing some great stuff here this year. Well, speaking of great stuff, I have not had Pastor Chuck Baldwin on in quite a while. And he put together a series that I want to talk about. He really needs no introduction. It is the one and only Dr. Chuck Baldwin, pastor of Liberty Fellowship Church, ran for the presidency, and a whole lot more in his bio would take up the whole show. Without further ado, it is Chuck Baldwin. Chuck, welcome back to the program, sir. Good to have you on. Sheila, it's great to be with you. Thank you for letting me come on your program. It's my pleasure, Chuck. Well, I want to talk today about Israel. I did a couple of shows about it piecing a bunch of other things, but you've taken a whole other approach to this topic of Israel. It's a very important topic, I think, today in this end times that we live, especially for Bible-believing Christians to get a good handle on what we're talking about. And Chuck, it's always amazing to me how vitriolic criticism that comes from even talking about this. You're totally anti-Semitic if you talk about This subject, and I always found this so fascinating, Chuck, in the topic of Israel is Jesus Christ himself was a Jew and his own people rejected him. God purposely sent him to Judah. He came to his own. His own did not receive him. That's fascinating right there to start off with. Right. And and Matthew 23 is a really important chapter in the understanding of the issue that that we're talking about today. And I devote quite a bit of time in my series of messages on the Church in Israel, which is two DVDs and seven messages. And in one of those messages, I I spend quite a bit of time dealing with Matthew chapter 23, because most, most preachers don't even talk about it, and most Christians have never really read it with, with any degree of understanding. And it really is one of the chapters that helps, I think, uh, illuminate the truth in people's minds relative to the subject of the modern state of Israel. And basically, what Jesus did in Matthew chapter 23 was give to Israel its final farewell. 
In fact, the, the message that I, I titled the message, what I deal with is Christ's last words to Israel, because mm-hmm. indeed they were his final words to the nation of Israel, the nation that had come out of the Old Testament, the nation that had you know, gone into captivity and, and now had been brought back into the promised land and now had been, of course, subdued by Rome. And everything that was prophesied in the Old Testament relative to Israel and the captivity and the deliverance and all that, you know, was fulfilled. And then Christ came, and then the other prophecies were fulfilled relative to the coming of the Messiah, presenting himself to the nation. They rejected him, as you mentioned, and crucified him, of course, and and he rose from the dead, and we know that that was part of God's plan for us as Gentiles to be brought into the family of God. But as it relates to Israel, Matthew 23 was his final farewell to them. He He was telling them, I'm finished with you. I'm going to destroy you, and you will not see me again. You will not hear from me again. I will not speak to you again until uh, I come again. Uh, When you see me and you say, you know, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord, and that will not take place until Jesus returns at the second coming and, you know, receives uh, or presents himself again and finally to uh, Israel as their king and messiah. And the true Israel will receive him at that time, and he will establish his kingdom as he promised to David, and all those all those prophecies will be fulfilled. Until that time, the nation of Israel is no more. And, of course, we know that some 34, 35 years later, um, when the Romans came into Jerusalem at 70 A.D., totally destroyed you know, the city, the temple, uh, the people, the, the the priesthood destroyed the Pharisees and and their and their you know hold and control over the people, basically eviscerated old Te- what was Old Testament Israel or or biblical Israel, however you want to say it, was was totally destroyed. And Jesus was predicting this, and of course it was predicted again in many of the letters to the churches. Uh, which all were written before 70 A.D. The only book of of the New Testament that was not written before 70 A.D. was the book of Revelation. And people sometimes forget that. So many times you will read of prophetic statements. James has some, and there's some in, in, in the Pauline epistles and, and so forth. And, you know, those are also pointing to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. And uh, when that happened that nation was no more. And what Jesus said in Matthew 23 was fulfilled. So, you know, the state of Israel, as as we know it today, has absolutely nothing to do with biblical Israel or prophetic Israel. Uh, the king is not there. You know, Jesus is not there. Uh, the righteousness is not there. They have not received him. They have not said, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. They still reject him as Messiah. They still are in, immersed in, in pagan culture, pagan ideology, uh, just like they were many times in the Old Testament. You know, so it's really been a travesty the way that modern Christians, thanks to the Schofield Bible, basically Darby's work before him, uh, which has I think corrupted the, yes. the theology of a lot of Christians. Well, you got that right, because I'll tell you what's really interesting, and I think this is a great segue, is any 20th century, well, especially after 1948, big surprise, a lot of Matthew 23, the commentary on it, when you look at after the creation of the state of Israel, it's very different than those 19th century, you know, the guys that were writing in sort of the mid-19th century or earlier, you have a very different take on Matthew 23, don't you? Oh, you have a very different take on the entire subject. Yeah. Now, that, that one of the reasons why I seldom read 20th century commentators, uh, I find them to be really quite corrupted in in the way they interpret the scripture because they've they've all been influenced by Schofield and and the so-called doctrine of dispensationalism and the misinterpretation of Genesis chapter 12 verse 3 
Now the word God said to Abram, I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And, you know, of course, they take that to mean the the modern state of Israel, and it doesn't mean that at all. And so since they are are totally beguiled by that theology, it skews everything they write about the Scripture, because the Scripture is just filled with references to what we're talking about here, but if you have this perverted idea that it's, this is talking about this pagan religion and this pagan state in the Middle East that, that is called Israel, created by, well, basically the Balfour decision, you know, back in the early uh, 20th century, and then the Rothschilds, and, and, and they were all very much part of that. United Nations was a part of that, and, and uh, Russian Jews were, were, were part of that, the ones who had created the Bolshevik Revolution. Right, and, right. You know, anyway, so, you know, the, all that, you know, they're, they're equating Genesis 12, 3 to, to that. If that's the way you're thinking, then that completely distorts your understanding of virtually the rest of Scripture. For example, you cannot read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if if you don't recognize the animated contest between Christ and the Pharisees, you cannot understand the Gospels. I mean, it's just that's just a point blank reality. If you don't understand the battle, the sheer force of the fight that the Pharisees brought against Christ and the way Christ battled with them for his entire public ministry, which, of course, finally led to his crucifixion. But you'd be surprised how many preachers and and Bible teachers, etc., they don't even recognize the contest between Christ and the Pharisees. And if you, you know, I challenge all your listeners to take, take a marker of some kind, magic marker, or yellow marker, whatever, go through the, the four Gospels, and every time you see the Pharisees mentioned and the, and the contest they have with Christ, highlight it. And then when you're done with, with all the four books, go back to Matthew and just look at how many references you have marked in your gospel narratives. It's it's a huge percentage. That was the beginning of the whole rejection of Christ, and then God's rejection of them. It all began, well, it didn't begin, but it, it, it's all illustrated, and it came to a head during the life of Christ. So that, that's what I said, and I go into that in one of my messages about the, well, actually, it's a separate set of messages, Christ and the Pharisees. I have three messages on that. And I talk about this contest between Christ and the Pharisees. I take it from the book of John. But that's key. And so when you talk about Matthew 23, that's the culmination of this three to three and a half year, maybe four year contest. Where, you know, the, the Pharisees tried to kill Jesus over and over and over and yeah. over again. I mean, the fact that they finally succeeded there at the crucifixion was not the first time that they tried to kill him. They tried to stone him multiple times. There's no telling really how many times, I'm sure the New Testament doesn't tell us all of it, how many times the Pharisees tried to kill Jesus by stoning him. They had the authority to do that under Roman law. What they did not have the authority to do was crucify anyone. That's why they had to they had to go through the Roman government to crucify Christ. So, But anyway, they tried to kill him throughout his public ministry. And again, if you don't understand that part of the story, then you don't understand the God. And these modern commentators, these modern preachers and so forth, they just don't understand it. So you alluded to, you know, the commentators right and early. I, you know, the commentators I read, the latest that I read would be the 19th century. Yeah. And most of the commentators I read are going to be the 18th and 17th centuries because they're the ones that had the, the truly clear understanding about Israel, and they weren't bogged down with this newly created state of Israel, so their theology is much purer. Well, and even they're doing that today. I mean, can't imagine, Chuck, the people that go to Israel that report back to me, Sheila, they they call Jesus a dog, they spit in his face, they they say in, the, of course, the Talmud, Jesus is boiling in a vat of hot excrement. We won't even go into what that means. I mean, it's just so disgusting but the the important point is that you know there's often confusion about abraham's seed it isn't this you know there's a mix-up about that but the point is then if the levitical priesthood was still 
in effect, well then throw out the book of Hebrews, throw out most of the New Testament, especially the Melchizedek priesthood, right? Yep, absolutely. And that's one of the messages I have. I'm glad you brought that up because that's one of the messages I devote entirely to the priesthood of Melchizedek. The Bible is clear that Jesus gave us a priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. That's significantly important because the, the Levitical priesthood was the pre, only priesthood that the Jewish nation knew. The Levites were the priests. They were the priestly tribe. The entire Judaistic system of worship was dependent upon the Levitical priesthood. It was part and parcel to the to the you know Mosaic law, yeah. etc. And so when when you find Jesus now as our great high priest, as the Book of Hebrews claims him to be. He takes great pains, he, the writer of Hebrews, I think Paul, takes great pains to illustrate and and to teach to us that Christ was not, he did not extend the Levitical priesthood. He, He did not come as a priest after the order of the Levites, but he established a brand new priesthood, a priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. Well, that takes you back to Genesis chapter 14, and the story of Melchizedek, which is really an interest, interesting one, because what you had here going on was you had these kings of the east, five kings, if memory serves me correctly, who came and invaded the land where Abram was, was living and plundered it, killed many people, took a lot of people prisoner, including uh, Lot, who was Abram's nephew, and took all the bounty from, from the cities and you know and, and left and just pillaged and plundered the place. Well, Abram had trained servants in his house. These were men that were trained to fight. They were, if you want to say, a a private militia. It would be, I think, the modern word that would apply. And he he got his his personal modern militia together, and he said, come on, guys, we're going after them. And he tracked them, and he trapped them, and he fought against them, and he slaughtered them. And he took all the the goods back that they had stolen and brought Lot back and the other people from Sodom, by the way, that had been taken captive. And when he came back home, there was Melchizedek. He was the priest of the Most High God and the king of Salem, and and he anoints him and he blesses him. And and that, Hebrews 7 says that either that was a Christophany, it was a pre-Bethlehem appearance of Christ, or it was the type of Christ. Either way, the writer of Hebrews says it represented Christ. And so that was the the story of Melchizedek. And it was interesting that, that he was using that in a means of self-defense. I think, you know, the lesson there is lost from Genesis 14, the right of armed self-defense. And, and God blessed Abram for, and the Bible says in the King James, and when Abram returned from the slaughter of the kings, that's the way the Bible <laughs> says it, from the slaughter of the kings, and Melchizedek blessed him, and that was the type of the Christ's priesthood that we read about in Hebrews chapter 7. And if we don't understand the difference between the Melchizedek priesthood, the eternal priesthood of Christ, and the Levitical priesthood, which was only limit, it was limited to the Jews and to the Old Testament nation of Israel. And Jesus, of course, is the king of kings and priest of priests for the whole world, not just the Jews. So that was a very important theological part of the ministry that Christ has relative to the priesthood of the believer. And yeah, and people don't even understand that. And so when you read these modern commentators and stuff, most of them, they totally ignore the tremendous story of Melchizedek and how that applies to Christ and Abram. And so that's a very important part of the story. That's why we included it in our series of messages. Right, absolutely. Well, there's a really interesting scripture there, of course, in Matthew 23, 38. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. I think it warrants some discussion. And also, there's a lot of people that think the very next chapter there, Matthew 24, is talking about the return of Christ. But it's interesting how you explain it. Lay that out. In Matthew 23, that was a prophecy 
of what was about to take place some 30, 34, or 5 years later in 70 A.D., when uh, the Romans came and, and destroyed Jerusalem. That's that's what he meant by that, was your house has left you desolate. And just a matter, you know, that, that generation and that other verse, that you know, that <laughs> there's so many things. I know. These, these modern Christians, they use that verse in Matthew 24, which follows, and, and basically, you know, they talk about this, talking about the return of Christ and, and the second coming, and not, no. Matthew 24 is not talking about, for the most part, the return of Christ. The Matthew 24 is following up on what Jesus said in Matthew 23. Matthew 24, he was trying to prepare the people of Jerusalem for what was about to take place 30-some-odd years later. And when he said, this generation shall not pass, well, a biblical generation is 40 years. And so within 40 years, Titus invaded Jerusalem and destroyed it. And Jesus' prophecy was fulfilled exactly. In less than 40 years, in less than that one generation, they lived to see, most of them, the sacking of Jerusalem by Titus. And so he was telling them, you know, that this was coming. You know, this city is about to be invaded. This city is about to be destroyed. You are going to experience the worst disaster that you could ever possibly dream. And the description of, of everything that he was talking about you know, woe to you if you're pregnant and you're with child and, you know, get jump down from the housetop if you have to and run and flee. Yeah. And he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem and how how little time they were going to have. When, when that invasion started, they had literally minutes to save themselves if they could. And most of them didn't. Uh, historians say that somewhere two million plus, and we, nobody really knows, but they estimate two million plus Jews were were slaughtered in that invasion of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. It was it was awful, and, and the the walls were torn down, and and the temple was torn down, and and you know the whole Pharisaical system was destroyed, and you know everything that Jesus predicted in Matthew 23 and 24 came to pass in the in the destruction of Jerusalem. So that is what Jesus was saying when he when he talked about your let your house is left so desolate, and it happened. Yeah, well, it's amazing to me. You know, he sends them prophets, he sends them a savior. This is God I'm speaking of, and yet, what are the Jews known for? I mean, stoning, killing. I mean, it's amazing that these guys like Hagee will just. I mean, it's to the point of idolatry. It is really sad to see all this. I stand with Israel, isn't it? Because people really don't, you know, I posted that on my Facebook one day, Chuck, you'll get a kick out of this story. I said to the people, what does that mean? I stand with Israel. And I'm telling you out of 380 replies, Chuck, not one person answered the same thing. Well, because they, they don't really know what it means. Number one, it's a very, just a, just a generic feel good statement. Yeah. It's not, it's without definition. They don't really know what they're saying. Number two, the evil and wickedness that emanates out of the modern state of Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when they say, I stand with Israel, okay, this is not a, a, an exaggerated accusation. This is a fact. Anybody can, can verify this. If you'll just do a little bit of research, you'll find that what I'm about to say is absolutely true. The homosexual capital of the world is Tel Aviv, Israel. That's a fact. That is undeniable. So when somebody says, I stand with Israel, okay, what does that mean? Does that mean that you stand with the homosexual capital of the world, Tel Aviv? Abortion on demand is rampant in Israel. In fact, Israel has one of the most liberal abortion laws in the entire world. Several years ago, a state of Israel passed a law saying that any pregnant woman could receive a state-financed abortion all the way through the third trimester. Now, not wow. only are abortions legal, in like, like they are here in so many other countries of the world, shamefully, but the government of Israel pays, directly pays, for the abortions these women have. <clears throat> and again, it's through the third, I mean, it's all the way up to the, to the moment of, of delivery. There, you know, there is no time limit. So, so when you say you stand with Israel, so does that mean that you stand with their abortion laws? 
for they pay for the abortions. Um, Netanyahu, just about, what, two, maybe three years ago, if time flies so fast, made a statement, and I, you know, I reported on it at the time, where that the law of Israel was the Talmud. Right. The official law of Israel is the Talmud, uh. not the Torah. So read the Talmud. You alluded to a portion of it earlier. You know, read the Talmud. And then after you read the Talmud and you realize that the law, the official law of Israel is the Talmud, and then you're going to say, I stand with Israel. Okay, so you stand with the Talmud then. You, you stand, you know, everybody talks about Sharia law from some of the Muslim sects. What would take place if Talmudic law were the law of the land? Well, it is the law of the land in Israel. And the idea that there is freedom of religion in Israel is a joke. It's a joke. If any Hebrew in Israel, or you know, a lot of the people that call themselves Jews don't even know what their bloodline is, so I guess we've got to recognize that too. But you know, a lot of the citizens of Israelis, let's say that, a lot of the Israeli citizens, if they get converted to Christ and they try to witness publicly of their faith in Christ, they will be treated in much the same way that the Christians of the first century were treated. They may not be stoned on the street, but they would be immediately arrested by the authorities. They would be, they would be incarcerated. They would be beaten and tortured. Uh, their families would disown them. You know, the treatment of Christians in Israel, I'm talking about the Israeli people, if they were to reject Judaism and return, and, and return to Christ, you know, they would be persecuted immensely. And if anyone, you know, I've been over to Israel, and I've been with the people I've spoken. At, at the time I was there, Sheila, there were two Baptist churches in Israel. One was in Bethlehem, one was in Jerusalem. And I spoke at both of them. Wow. And I can tell you that 95% of all of the Christians that were worshiping in those two churches, they were not Jews. They were not Israelis. They were Palestinian Christians. Wow. <laughs> they were Palestinian Christians. Wow. You know, and when we talk about, you know, this 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 Palestinian state and, and, and which I by the way I favor and you know, all the now that Trump is elected and, and, and his son in law Kushner is in his, a position of great authority in our government, a man who has billions of dollars and we won't go into how he got all that, but he and his dad have been some of the biggest contributors to the, the, these Jewish housing developments that go on, and people really need to understand what's going on. They come in and they they bulldoze down. They just bulldoze down the homes of the Palestinian people. They just come in with big bulldozers and the military, you know, protecting them, and they just bulldoze down neighborhoods, entire neighborhoods, entire sections of of the city, bulldoze them down, make the people homeless, and then they erect new housing for the Jewish Israelis. Um, That's what, and he, Kushner, is a major proponent of that, a major financier of that. And um, Netanyahu is going ahead with plans now to create 2,500 additional houses for you know, the Jewish Israelis. And, of course, what that means is he's going to be bulldozing down 2,500 Palestinian houses. Many of these are Christians. You know, that People don't understand that there is a, a large Christian population among the Palestinian people, That's right. very large. So when they say, you stand with Israel, okay, so that means you, you stand with Israel bulldozing down Christians' houses Putting people out of out of their homes, literally making people homeless, killing people along the way. Anybody that would try to resist would be arrested at the very minimal and and killed even. So I stand with Israel. So I stand with that. Well, and Chuck, you know, rabbis will tell you they don't even believe in the Bible. Most of them are atheistic. I mean, we know Netanyahu's just a puppet of the New World Order, but I mean, this place is a not just a modern day Sodom and Gomorrah, but Again, you know, you've got this raging spirit of Antichrist, I believe. And again, right. these rabbis, they will just tell you, nothing to see here, folks. We don't even really believe in the Torah. So they, right, I mean, exactly. it's all over the map. Yeah, unless you're an Orthodox Jew, 
Well, right. those, well, those people do believe in the Torah, but unless you're an Orthodox Jew, which is a very small percentage of the people that live in Israel, they would consider themselves atheists. You know, when we think of Jews, or when the average Christian thinks of Jew, they think of this, you know, Jehovah-worshipping, Old Testament Israel right. kind of a Jew. But they're not. The, many of them, many of them are atheists. Uh, they, they don't believe in God at all. The Zionist philosophy of politics has taken over, well, really, it was created, the state of Israel, and it's dominated the state of Israel ever since. And what's interesting and what a lot of Christians don't know is that there are many Jews and rabbis who despise Zionism just as much as anyone does. I mean, you go back and read the, the record whenever the state of Israel was, was being created and being formed and all of the politics behind that. You will read, you can, if you want to, you can find them really easily. You can read the sentiments of many of the rabbis back at that time in the 20s and 30s leading up to 1948. And they saw this coming, and, they, you know, of course, the Balfour decision basically said, we're going to do this. It was at 1918, 1919. And so you had all these years in between with a lot of debate going on, pro and con, and there were many, many rabbis that rejected that. And, and they, they were the ones that were saying that the Messiah hasn't come, and, and, and you know, we, we, we must wait for the Messiah, and, and this is a false political system that's going to hurt the Jewish people, and boy, has it ever. I mean, when people talk about Israel, they talk about Netanyahu, they have this idea that, Wow, the whole everyone that claims to be a Jew is, you know, is for Netanyahu and Zionism, and the Jewish people are uh, one and the same, and they're not. You know, it's it's like the neocon globalist elitists here in the West who control the banking systems and the political systems, the military systems, and to say, well, you know, that means all of America, every American supports that. No. It, it doesn't mean that at all. And so there's a lot of misunderstanding about who even the, you know, the Jews are and, and their support of Netanyahu and this whole Zionist movement. And, and many, many Jews do not support the Zionist agenda. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I did an incredible series with Pastor John Terrell, a two-part series on Israel, the Kabbalah, and the Antichrist. And let me tell you something. You know, you touched on it the Balfour Declaration, the transfer agreement, if people actually looked into this and then saw the creation of the state of Israel and how the United Nations, the synagogue of Satan itself, was involved in this, Christians would be shocked. Right. The United Nations was definitely involved in it. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think you could say that they directly created the state of Israel, but they, they were definitely influential in the creation yeah. of Israel. And when you go back to the Balfour decision in World War I and the, the whole history of the Russian Jews and the Bolshevik Revolution and the Rothschilds, the vision that they had, that whole family syndicate, to create this Zionist Israel, you have to study that whole history to really understand how the state of Israel even came into existence. And do you not find this interesting, Sheila, that you listen to everybody, anybody, talk about Israel today. I don't care whether it's the secular media or people in the church. They always refer to it as the state of Israel. Yeah. You never hear the nation of Israel. Great now you point. go back and, and you read the Old Testament. You will never see that phrase, the state of Israel. Never. One time. It wasn't a state. It was a nation the nation of Israel. But it's not called a nation today. It's called a state. A state is a subsidiary of something greater. You know, we are not the American state. We are the American nation. But we have the state of Montana, the state of Idaho, the state of Wyoming. You see what I'm saying? The individual 50 states are, are part of a, the, a bigger union. And so, hence, the state of New York, but not the state of America. The, the nation is America. 
But in Israel, which is supposed to be a nation, they don't never call it a nation. It's called a state. And I think there's some probably some definite reasons for that, not the least of which is the state of Israel is not is not a nation because it's it's a part of something bigger. It's under the control and the influence of something bigger. It was created by the Rothschilds for the Rothschilds, <laughs> you know, and, and they answer to the Rothschilds. And to this very day, the Zionist uh, Jewish superstructure, which is not limited to Israel. I mean, there are more Jews in New York City than there are in the state of Israel. Uh, and, and the Zionist Jews are global. In fact, when you look at the international banking, if you want to say cartel, <laughs> it really is controlled mostly by the Zionist banking system. Uh, even our own Federal Reserve. Look at the look at the bankers who who control the Federal Reserve. Most of them are are Zionists, and that's true in the other central banks. You go to the central banks of Europe, and who are the heads? who are the controllers of the central banks of Europe. They're mostly Zionists. So when we're, when we're talking about Zionism, we're not talking about just Israel. We're talking about a global political system. The neocons of America that are controlling our foreign policy are very, very much influenced by Zionism. Look at our U.S. Congress. The largest and most influential lobby in Washington, D.C., bar none, is the Jewish lobby, and that's the Zionist. That's why it's such a third-rail issue for people like you and me. Whenever we say anything about Israel or the Jews or any such thing as that Zionist, if you say anything, then you're immediately classified as being anti-Semitic, you're a <laughs> radical extremist, all these things that they throw at you. Because they literally do influence every major institution in the West, including not only the Federal Reserve and the banking system, but the entertainment system. I'm in the process now of, of making a new film with a, a tremendously brave producer, and he is, is exposing a lot of the a lot of this that we're talking about. When, when you look at you know the 60% of the CEOs of the entertainment media, uh, whether it be Hollywood and, or television program, is controlled by Zionists. That's right. Uh, you know, six major corporations, just six major corporations, control all of the American media, whether it be entertainment or news. All six of those corporations are owned and controlled by Zionists. You re when you start realizing this, you realize the Leviathan that this political institution called Zionism really is and the battle that you're up against. So that's why you and I, when we come on, you know, as just an individual out here who's trying to tell people the truth, and you start getting into this, this reality, uh, those forces that are so powerful and so entrenched are going to unleash themselves, depending on how effective they think you are, <laughs> they're going to unleash themselves against you to, to, to try and, and squash what you might say, lest you get any momentum and lest the eyes of people be open to the, the treachery. Mm, treachery, that is a good word. And the relentless ruthlessness. You know, the Jews killed all the apostles. They persecuted the church. They were, I mean, you said the Leviathan. They were brutal. I mean, these people were merciless, cruel, cold-blooded, callous killers. And these Judaizers, when you have the entire book of Galatians dedicated to what Paul was essentially wanting to wake up the church to say, you need to resist the Judaizers. I mean, what part of that don't people get? We're not under the Mosaic law. And I think that's the disconnect. Yeah, and, and I think the Judaizing of the American church is has just begun, and I fear for the churches of America because I, I foresee a a continuation and escalation of the Judaizing of the church. More and more, you're hearing about Christians that are wanting to worship on Saturday, and I know there's some sincere Christians that do that, and I take nothing away from their faith or their sincerity, but they're sincerely wrong. 
you hear a, a lot about wanting to reinstitute the observances, the ceremonial observances of the Jewish law. You hear talk about various Sabbaths, uh, not just the weekly Sabbath. You hear a lot about the the new moons and and the worship ceremonies of Israel. You're even hearing, I can't believe I'm hearing, I'm even hearing a lot of talk among Christians and preachers about the rebuilding of the temple, the right. Jewish temple right. in Jerusalem, as if that's some kind of a good thing. I mean, do they not read the New Testament where it says that our bodies are the temple of God? We are the temple, the church, the body of Christ. We are the temple. Any temple that, that would be built in Jerusalem would be a satanic antichrist temple. Yes. And, and yet I'm hearing a lot of talk about people being excited about the potential. Now that Trump's president, we're going to move the capital of Jerusalem and we're going to see the temple rebuilt and they're, and they're praising it. And they're, this whole Judaizing of Christianity is exactly what took place in the first century after Christ. The early church went through this. Yeah, as they evangelized and as they won people to Christ, you had these Judaizers who would come into the church and then they would convince everybody, at least try to, that we had to go back to the law of Moses and go back to the Judeo system of worship and so forth. And a lot of the new Christians were beguiled by that. And, and, and Paul's address in Galatians, as you remarked, is a stern rebuke to the early Christians about how dare you go back to a system that God delivered you from. The death and resurrection of Christ brought you out of that and replaced it with a brand new covenant. You are the temple. The Holy Spirit resides in you. He doesn't reside in a building like he did in Solomon's temple. He, he resides in you. And the book of Galatians in particular is, is a scathing rebuke to the Judaizing of the church and an appeal to the Christians to understand the freedom and the liberty that they have in Christ. And in the middle of, of the book of Galatians, Galatians 3.16 answers Genesis 12.3 was right. all about. Right. If, if you want to know what God meant in Genesis 12.3, read Genesis chapter 3.16, and you'll find that he wasn't talking anything about the modern state of Israel or any future state, he was referring to the Lord Jesus Christ and how that we are one in Christ. He fulfilled the promise that God gave to Abraham. These people in Israel today, Benjamin Netanyahu is not the fulfillment of Genesis 12, 3, I promise you. It was Jesus Christ who was the fulfillment of Genesis 12, 3. And, and so, you know, the, I don't know what's happened. Sheila, it's a, it's a blindness uh, that has taken place, I think, over the church. And I think, personally, it's leading up to the great deception uh, that we read about in the New Testament relative to the Antichrist and how that the elect are being deceived. And I think that's what we're seeing. And I think this issue that we're talking about today is the source of that blindness. Well, you know, that's right. And I don't judge people's hearts. I mean, I know there is good godly men that, again, I'm, I can't judge their heart, but they are so blinded by some of this stuff. Like you got the whole Hebrew Roots crew. You got all of those guys that want us to go back, as you said, under all this ceremonial stuff. We're supposed to be pronouncing stuff in Hebrew. I mean, and God bless Sid Roth, but he had some guy in his show. And so what you're telling me is if we say things in Hebrew, then God will activate your prayers. If person, I'm just going, oh, dear God, hello. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Of course, they were pronouncing things in Hebrew. I mean, I had a guy that actually told me he was burning sacrifices. He said, you know, it can't hurt just to honor what they did back then. And I'm thinking, that is lunacy. Jesus came to fulfill the law, not put us back under the law. Yeah, I, I do think it's a blindness. I, I really do. And, and I mean, the idea of, of reinstituting animal sacrifices, if, if that's what, and I don't doubt that that's many of them are actually talking about that. That's more than just lunacy and idiocy and all that. It's blasphemy. Yes. 
Because Christ's sacrifice of his shed blood put an end to all the sacrifices. It fulfilled them. It terminated them. His sacrifice is the superior sacrifice. To go back to an animal sacrifice would be to say that the sacrifice of Christ was of non-effect. It was meaningless. It accomplished nothing. That's what you're saying if you go back to an animal sacrifice. And why would you build a temple in Jerusalem, for example? Why would you build a temple if you're not going to sacrifice? Yeah. I mean, that, that was what, that's what they did in the temple. You know, they brought the animal sacrifices. Jesus is the last sacrifice, the final sacrifice, the only sacrifice that cleanses forever from sin. And to suggest that we're going to go back to any kind of formality or ceremony relative to the old Jewish system is antithetical to everything that Jesus taught and did for us. It's antithetical to anything and everything that was taught in the New Testament. I mean, what we're doing is we're going back to a pre-Christ religion. Yeah. And now that would have to be considered pagan. That would be pagan because Christ came. He died. He rose again. He shed his blood. He brought a new covenant to his people. And, and to go back to an old covenant means to reject the new covenant, which is total blasphemy. So I'm really concerned about this increased Judaizing of the American church, and I see it, I know you do too, and it is not a good thing. Well, it's not Jesus plus Jesus 2.0. We couldn't keep one law, it says. You break one, you break them all. And there's a really interesting scripture in Romans 11:28, In the King James, it actually says, as concerning the gospel, they, well, guess who they are, are enemies for your sake. Guess who he's talking about there, Chuck? Right, right. He's talking about He's talking about the Israel, he's talking about the Jews, particularly the Zionists uh, that we've been talking about. Yeah, and Paul clearly said that they were the enemy of the church, and in the, new, in the first century they absolutely were. When you, when you look at you know, what they did in the city of Jerusalem after the, the day of Pentecost and the persecution that took place, it was so severe that the disciples had to disperse and go from city to city to try and escape the, the persecution of the Jewish people which they never did because everywhere they went, the Jews followed them and, and the persecuted them. And I mean, read the book of Acts. The, the book of Acts is one story after another of the Zionist Jews persecuting the early church. Uh, so that's exactly what Paul was referring to in that verse in Romans chapter 11. Romans always gets us in trouble, Chuck. <laughs> anyway, listen, you did an absolutely fantastic job by the way, you've recently done some stuff. I like your Christ and the Pharisees. I love that three DVDs. I love your Jesus and the Pharisees teaching that you did. That is so good. It's three messages. That's a DVD. That's one DVD. The Muslim problem. Wow. I think I think these should be like required watching for all Christians and the church in Israel. That is a must have. So these three kind of go together, but talk about specifically the church and Israel. I think this is such a must-have, so tell the folks how they can get it. Oh, thank you, uh, Sheila. Yeah, the, this, it's a two-DVD set, so it's, it's not real long. It, there's seven messages. Each message is probably around an hour. Four messages on disc one and three messages on disc two. And we go, I go into a lot of the things that we talked about today in depth and, and many more things that we didn't even have time to talk about. The series is called The Church and Israel. And the way to get it is just simply go to my website, which is chuckbaldwinlive.com. Chuck Baldwin, B-A-L-D-W-I-N. Chuck Baldwin Live. That's the name of my radio show. Chuckbaldwinlive.com. And as soon as they plug into it, they're going to see a banner at the top, and right now that Church in Israel combo packet is there, is there. Or if they don't see it, just go click up to the top that says Store. We have a lot of books and DVDs that we offer. And that series, the Church in Israel, is the very first product that they're going to see on the when they click on that Store page. But they should probably see it even before that. 
So ChuckBaldwinLive.com, and it's called The Church in Israel. And I'm happy to report, by far, Sheila, by far, it is our most popular DVD offer. Wow. I mean, there's nothing else that we have that comes close to the popularity of this set. And the, the encouraging thing to me, you know, the, the, the thing that we have to deal with that, that's you know, difficult is the opposition that we get. But the encouraging thing to me is I have heard from hundreds, literally hundreds of people that have watched this series, and I think the Lord has been working in their hearts anyway, and their eyes are being opened to this truth. And I, I see a remnant of folks that are really coming to the light on this issue. And, you know, for all of the opposition and for all of the, the negative things that they try to spin on us because of this, God is using it. God is blessing the truth and people's eyes are being opened and illuminated. And, you know, the truth make you free, Jesus said, and buddy, it does. It, when, when, when your eyes are open to this, it makes the whole panoply of God's plan and, and the scriptures come alive. You're able to see things in a light that you never saw before. You realize how much in darkness you were because of, of this blindness. And it's just a marvelous thing to have your eyes opened to this. I mean, I was on the other side of this issue, Sheila, as you know, for almost all my life, 30, yeah. over 35 years. You know, I, I taught the Israel First doctrine. I was taught it in college. Yeah, I just didn't question it. You know, I just I taught, I regurgitated what I what I'd learned, and then after you know being the Holy Spirit beginning to convict my heart, and and then I began to delve into the scriptures for myself and forgetting what I've been taught and putting away the modern commentaries and God, what do you really? You know, my eyes were opened, and then I began to teach it, and it's it's been a beautiful journey for me personally, and and I think God is just really starting to awaken people to this. So I appreciate you giving me that opportunity. Yeah, go to my website, ChuckBaldwinLive.com, and you'll see The Church in Israel, two DVDs, and, and I hope you get that. Well, thank you for everything you do, your bravery, your courage to talk about this topic, and thank you for coming on the show, and do come back and see us soon. Yeah, I'd love to do it. Thank you, Sheila, very much. Folks, that was Chuck Baldwin. I have all his information linked there today on the Monday, January 30th bio. Do check out those DVDs and give some out to your friends, your church members, your pastor. I'm going to tell you that mainstream, that movie that Chuck was talking about, I've got that link there as well. Go check that out. Boy, I'm hoping people really get behind that very brave producer. Wednesday is the next show, folks. Just letting you know, I've got a couple of great guys coming on the show on Wednesday. Tomorrow, I've got some more tests. And then Thursday, I'm seeing the specialist. So this week, Wednesday, Friday show. And uh, I've got a lot to talk about with this mosque that just happened here in Canada. I got some thoughts on that. So I'm going to try to do something tomorrow night. So be looking for that in the podcast. Thank you very much for tuning into the broadcast today. Good night and God bless.